Would you take your Bible this morning, turn with me please to Mark's Gospel. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 9 please. The passage we're about to read is in my opinion one of the more precious in all the Bible. Precious for a lot of reasons. There's so many things we could draw from it. Pull out of it. But I want you to look with me at verse 14. Jesus had been on the Mount of Transfiguration. He had been there on Mount Hermon. They say that just about 365 days a year, there's a little bit of snow on the top, snow-capped mountain. Jesus had been there with uh, James and John and Simon Peter, his inner circle disciples. And Jesus, as we would read, he was transfigured before them. In other words, his countenance was changed. and They were literally able to see the glory of God revealed in Christ. That same glory that I believe Isaiah saw in Isaiah 6. That same glory that we read about in the Old Testament, Revelation chapter 1, as John receives that vision of Jesus I believe that's the glory that they saw and they were able to behold. And then God the Father spoke and Moses appeared, Elijah appeared. And the Bible tells us that their conversation that they had with one another was about Jesus' crucifixion. So here's Simon, Peter, James, and John. They're listening to this conversation between Christ and Moses and Elijah, and then God the Father spoke. And he said, God the Father, his audible voice, spoke and said, This is my beloved Son, you hear him. Simon Peter had gotten so excited to, to, to be there, to see this, to hear this, the conversation, to see the glory of Christ. And he said, in ignorance, he said, oh, this is so spectacular. Why don't we just make uh, tents, three booths, three tents, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and we can just all stay up here. This is awesome. You know, it's like camp meetings, like revival. It's like whatever, homecoming, whatever. Man, this is just wonderful. Let's just stay here. And, 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 And man, look at Moses, look at Elijah, and oh yeah, look at Jesus. And that's when God the Father spoke and he said, hey, hey, it's almost like, now, now the Lord didn't say this, but it's almost like he said, hey, doofus, you're getting your attention on the wrong person, on the wrong people. <laughs> you're getting your attention on the wrong things. Get your attention on Christ. Because he says, this is my beloved son. And you listen to him, you hear him. Don't be so enamored with Moses and Elijah that you forget Jesus. And the voice frightened the disciples so much that they literally hit the ground. They didn't just hit their knees. They went prostrate before Jesus and were scared to death at the voice that they heard. And then Jesus walked over to them and he touched them and he said, don't be afraid. And it says when they looked up that they saw nobody but Jesus only standing there. 
And by the way, that's where God the Father wanted them to be. Where their eyes and focus were back on Jesus only. Not on Moses, not on Elijah, but on Jesus. And so what a phenomenal event. But while they were up on the mountain and journeying down from Mount Hermon, there was something that was taking place down in the valley, down at the base of the mountain. And it had to do with a daddy who had at least a young adult son, maybe a late teen son, who had been demon-possessed and tormented since many scholars believe infancy, certainly since childhood. And we pick up in verse 14, and when he came to his disciples, Jesus, when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway or immediately all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. The word dumb there means mute, unable to speak. Notice verse 18, And wheresoever he taketh him, the spirit he's speaking of, wheresoever that spirit, we know it was a demon, it wasn't any spirit from the Lord. Wherever that spirit takes him, he teareth him. And he foameth, gnashes with his teeth, And he pines away. And I spake to your disciples that they could cast the demon out. They could not. And then Jesus responds. He answered him and said in verse 19, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him, bring the boy to me. There's a lot of question in verse 19 on who... Who it, Jesus was addressing there when he, when he says, hey, you're a faithless generation. Was he talking to the group standing there? Was he talking to the multitude? We're not sure. Was he talking to the disciples? Some say that he was. We don't know. Was he speaking to the dad? All kinds of questions, speculation about who Jesus was addressing here. And the truth is, uh, there, there's probably application to all three of those speculations. But there was no doubt that Jesus was exposing doubt. He was exposing unbelief. He was exposing skepticism on the minds of some. But obviously that dad was there because there was something about him, something inside of him that believed that Jesus could do something about his need and his situation. Verse 20, And they brought him, the boy, unto him, Jesus And when he saw him, straightway or immediately the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming, foaming at the mouth. And he, Jesus, asked the father, how long is it to go since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. Years, decades And oft times the father said, it had cast him, verse 22, into the fire and into the waters. 
Why in the world would a demon want to cast its inhabitant into a fire or drown him in water? Because, friend, never forget this, that Satan, as Jesus said in John chapter 10, Jesus, or Satan came, Satan came for one thing, to kill, steal, and destroy. That's his aim. And every life in this room and every person in this universe, everybody that's ever been born, the devil's aim for them, the devil's will for them has been their own destruction. It was true with this lad, this boy. A demon would throw him in fires and throw him in the water and try to drown him and they'd have to intervene. Somebody would have to intervene. I can imagine that daddy feeling like all of his life, I can't leave my son alone. I, I, there's, there's, there's never a moment in my day, in my world, in my life where I can feel like my son is safe and not in danger and, 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 and wouldn't harm himself or that demon inside of him. Here's a situation here that, that, that is beyond my control. And then notice the dad's words in verse 22. He says, but if... Thou canst do anything. It's almost like he says, Lord, uh, I believe you can do something. I'm not sure. But Lord, if you can do something, would you have compassion on us and help us? Jesus said unto him in verse 23, If you canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. In other words, just like he's saying, hey, the question is not if I can do something. (laughs) The question is, do you believe I can? Because he said, if you believe I can, all things are possible. I can do whatever needs to be done if you believe that I can. In other words, sir, the problem's not with my ability. The problem is with your faith. The problem is, do you really believe that I can do something? Is it possible? Do I have the ability to intervene here? And I love what the father does in verse 24. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him. Enter no more into him. Jesus addresses this demon head on. Now listen, the demon wasn't disease, okay? The demon wasn't deafness. It was a demon that caused all this stuff. Uh, I, I, I am weary and leery about people who get on television and religious broadcasting and they, they, they want to rebuke disease and cancer and things like that. Now, friend, listen to me. I'm a, as much against cancer as anybody on this planet. I'm, 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 I'm against disease as anybody that you know. Okay, uh, a multitude of people in this room have lost individuals to cancer and other diseases, diabetes and heart disease and all that kind of stuff. But disease and sickness isn't necessarily a demon, okay? It's a result of the fall of man. It's a result of depravity. It's a result of our depraved bodies and the curse on this earth. It's a result of that. But you can't necessarily rebuke cancer and rebuke 
diabetes and rebuke the flu and things like that and expect God to miraculously, just because you say, I rebuke that in Jesus' name for him to miraculously heal somebody. That's not how it works. By the way, there's nothing wrong with praying that God would heal someone. Man, I do that all the time. And God in his infinite sovereignty and wisdom, so many times according to our prayers, he does move and he does answer prayer and he does do things like that. But Jesus wasn't rebuking the sickness. Are you hearing me? He was calling out the demon. By the way, he does have authority over sicknesses. He's the only one that does. No faith healer does, no man does, no woman does. Jesus is the only one that does. But he wasn't calling out deafness and muteness here. He was calling out the demon. The one that was causing all this. And causing the difficulty and causing the problem. And notice what he says, I charge you. Come out of him. Listen. He didn't have to ask for permission. He didn't negotiate with the demon. He doesn't have to, friend. Listen carefully. Jesus Christ is God over all. The Bible says that there's going to come a day when, Philippians 2, that one day every single knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord alone. Every knee. And it says everything Above the earth, that's all the angelic host. Everything in the earth, that's you and I, all the humans. And he says, and even under the earth. Now, who in the world do you think that is? That's the underworld, right? That's all the demonic spirits. And that's Satan himself. And the day is coming when every single knee, every demon in hell, every demon on this earth right now that's yet to be in hell, every demon will bow the knee at Jesus' authority. Jesus controls and exercises divine and absolute right and authority over every single demon. And this demon has no choice when he's rebuked and ordered to leave this young man. Verse 26. The spirit, the demon cried. Watch this. And rent him. He tore this young man. He tore him as he exited and came out of him. And he, the boy, was as one dead. Insomuch that many thought and said, he's dead. I love verse 27, but Jesus took him up by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And in another parallel passage, it says Jesus took the boy and he presented him back to his daddy. Can I just take a time out here and say, I can't prove to you what I'm about to tell you, but I hope one day when we are all in heaven in passages of scripture like this, I know God doesn't need a DVD player, okay? But I sure hope that there's going to be a place in heaven where when we read passages like this, the Lord will somehow bless our perfect sanctified imagination, glorified imagination at that point, and we'll be able to see visually and imagine some of these things. I can't imagine anything more precious than when Jesus... 
presented this boy back over to his daddy. Some of y'all that have had a loved one with some type of affliction or disease or struggle. You've prayed for a miracle. You've prayed for a cure. Imagine what it would be like if all of a sudden you knew it was Jesus that reached down and touched your loved one and it was like Jesus just picked him up and said, Here, I'm going to give them back to you. And they're going to be perfectly whole. By the way, that's going to happen one day when we stand in glory, right? Uh, there's going to be no more disease, no more sickness, no more sin, no more frustration. Nothing that will, that will uh, 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 steal our peace of mind and our joy. And Jesus will present all of us that way, completely perfect and whole. Then we read on what the scripture says. And when he was coming to, verse 28, when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, Lord, why could we not cast out this demon? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. His point there was to say, listen carefully, that there are some needs and some things and some struggles that a casual approach is not going to work. You got to pull out the big guns of prayer and fasting. And I'm afraid this church, I'm afraid that far too few times in our life as Christians and in, in our life as a church do we enter in to the big guns of prayer and fasting. This morning as we close, I want to just draw some application from the text. I want you to listen carefully because I believe as much as anything else, this text from the dad's perspective is about broken situations, desperate hearts, and imperfect faith. God here gives us a lesson, first of all, on desperation. There's no doubt that this dad's situation was desperate. It involved his son. Every parent in this room, every grandparent, great-grandparent in this room, you understand the desperation within the heart of this man. In verse 17, it says that the boy was dumb, he couldn't talk. Verse 18, it talks about that the demon would tear the boy. It literally means in verse 18 that he would tear him apart, tear him in two at times, physically wound him. Verse 18, the dad says that he pines away, pineth away. That word means literally to shrivel up, to wither away. Can you imagine, and many of you have done this with situations and with people, and you stand at a distance and you feel so helpless. There's nothing you can do, and you watch things crumble and deteriorate. And you could say about this person or about the situation, whether it was physical, emotional, financial, marital, relational, whatever it is, that the situation, instead of getting better, it's getting worse. And they're just, they're just pining away. They're just withering away. I'm watching this relationship just wither away. 
I'm watching this person battle emotional things and psychological things and, and, and even certain sinful things and it just seems like they're just pining away, just withering away. I can't reverse the situation. I can't cure the disease. I can't take care of this physical malady. I can't restore wholeness to this person. I, I can't do what is necessary. I'm totally desperate. I look at this. And, 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 and verse 20 talks about that the demon would tear the boy. And it means to mangle, to, to, to twist and gnaw, to mangle spasmodically. And whenever the will of that demon was, whenever that demon wanted to inflict pain and suffering and, 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 and wrath and anger, and, and, and just, just hurt on the boy, he would do it. And this dad, just can you see the desperation in him? I've been dealing with this for years, maybe even decades. I'm an older man now. I can't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've carried him to every doctor I know. Nobody has a cure for this. Lord, can you do something? It's as though Jesus was his last resort. I want to say to you this morning that everybody in this room experiences desperate situations. You may not be going through one right now, but you've been there, haven't you? And if you're not there right now, you're going to be there again sometime. Something out of your control. You tried to do everything you know to do, humanly possible, to intervene and to mitigate the thing and, and, and to bring some sort of solution. But nothing's working. You've called other people. You've gotten advice from preachers and teachers and people you respect. And you called your parents and you've gotten other folks that you know are prayer warriors to get in on it and start praying. And I mean, you're at your wit's end. You've been to physicians. You've talked to counselors. Nothing's helping. You've read books, blogs, articles. Nothing's helping. The dad was totally unable to change the outcome and to do what was necessary. And he was painfully aware that he had done all he could do. I'm talking to some people this morning and that's where you are. I'm talking to somebody. Somebody this morning and that's where you are. I don't know who it is. But you've absolutely, you've done everything you know to do. And your situation is just as bad now as it's always been. In fact, it's getting worse. You're desperate. We see a lesson in desperation. We see, number two, a lesson in dependence. Dependence. Verse 22 <laughs> he realizes that, you know what, it could be that Jesus is the only one who can really help me. Because he says to the Lord, Lord, if, if you can help. Lord, if, if you can do something. I want to say this to you, friend. Yes, Jesus is our first option and should be our first option. But I want to say this. Jesus is your only option. 
when it comes to situations like this where you're at your wit's end. I want to tell you something. He's your only option that you have. He's the only one that can help you. We have a lesson in desperation, a lesson in dependence, and then we have a lesson in doubt. Notice verse 23, the Lord's response. He said, the man said, verse 22, Lord, if you can do something. And Jesus says, look, if if you can believe that I can do something, then I can do something. All things are possible, he said, if you believe. I say this to you, I say this to you today, because he says in verse 22, Lord, help Help us, Lord. Help. God, help us. Jesus said, if you believe, then all things are possible. And then notice verse 24. uh, The man uh, said straightway, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Lord, I do believe. And then he went a step further. And I'm glad he went the step further because he said, Lord, I do believe. But then there's a part of me, Lord, that I have to confess that doesn't believe. Right? Lord, help my unbelief. Lord, help that part of me that still doubts. You know what? I believe the Lord's teaching us here that faith doesn't have to be perfect to be genuine. If I were to ask you in this room today, how many of y'all believe God? Man, all of y'all, whoo, I believe God. But if I said, how many of y'all perfectly believe God? See, that's a different question. This man believed God. There's no doubt he did. He, he was there and he said, Lord, you're the only one I really believe that can help my son. And then Jesus said, okay, if you really believe, all things are possible. And the man had to confess, Lord, I do believe, but there's a part of me that still struggles to believe. You ever found yourself there? Sure. Look at the man's grief and his response in verse 24. Immediately, the Bible says, that's what the word straightway means, immediately when Jesus said that to him, look at it, he he cried out. Just an overflow of emotion, just raw emotion. And then the Bible says he was crying with tears. It was like, like a flood of emotion opened up, and he just gushed out and he said, Lord, I do believe. Why was he so emotional? Because man, after years and years of beating his head into a wall, after years of total frustration and desperation, here was the first glimmer of hope that the man had. You and I would have responded the same way. You ever been, I mean, mean, this was like, like a starving man and finally he came across a piece of bread. Like somebody dying of thirst and then he found a cup of water. just couldn't hold back his emotions he burst out into tears he said Lord I do believe Lord it was this this daddy was saying Lord this thing has worn me out it's beaten me down it's broken me it's drained every dab of hope and strength out of me and now for the first time in forever I see a shred of hope 
Some of y'all are here this morning. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you're sitting. But there's a situation in your life. And it might be financial. It could be physical. It could be relational. It could be with your marriage. It could be with something else. It could be emotional. And I'm telling you, you've been dealing with something and battling something for a long time. Such a long time. That if you just had a thread of hope. I'm going to tell you this morning, you got a thread of hope. Because the same one that spoke and stood in front of that daddy is the same one. He's Jesus and he's standing in front of you this morning. And he says, oh son, listen to me. It's, it's not a matter of if I can do something. It's a matter of do you believe me? Notice what Jesus did say and notice what he didn't say. Jesus said, all things are possible to those who believe. He didn't say all things are guaranteed. Did you catch that? The Bible doesn't teach the idea that faith is the belief that God always will. It does teach that faith is the belief that God always can if he chooses. Let's get our theology right now. God doesn't always choose to do it, but he always can if he chooses to. See, faith is trust. And true trust says, I still trust God to do what's right and best, even though the outcome isn't what I was hoping or asking for. Are you still going to trust him? Regardless of what he chooses to do. That's the question. Will you this morning? I'm talking, to, I'm talking to that one, okay? And you know who you are. You know who you are. The Holy Spirit knows who you are. And you know the Holy Spirit knows who you are. I'm talking to that one person this morning. Will you bring like that man brought his son and laid him out before the Lord? Will you bring that situation Lay it out before God and put it in his hands. Step back. I don't know what you're going to choose to do with it, Lord. You might choose to leave it alone for a while. You might choose to move in a miraculous way or you may choose not to. But whatever you choose to do, Lord, I've got to get this off of me. Y'all know what I'm saying? Lord, I ought to get this off of me. I got to take it out of my hands because I can't, I can't. Can I tell you something? God didn't create you to deal with it. He created you to give it back to him. Because he says in 1 Peter 5, 7, hey, what do you do with your cares, anxieties, burdens, and worries? He says, you cast them on me because I care for you. If he's big enough, To walk up Calvary's mountain with the cross on his back. You know he's big enough to handle whatever it is that you can't handle. Give it to him this morning. Give it to him this morning.